Good morning. Today's headlines. The nation of South Korea is mourning after a deadly stampede killed over 150 people. Two Americans were among the victims. Brazilian presidential candidate Lula da Silva defeats incumbent Jair Bolsonaro in a runoff presidential vote. With polls showing a single-digit lead for Governor Kathy Hochul, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis heads up to New York to support Republican candidate Lee Zeldin. Over 100 people were killed when a suspension bridge collapsed in India. It's one of the worst accidents in the country in the last decade. And Shanghai Disneyland closes its doors to visitors because of COVID regulations. Visitors can, cannot enter or leave until they provide a negative test result for the virus. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. It's the last day of, of October already, a Monday morning. It's also Halloween today, but celebrations took a tragic turn in Korea. The country is now in a state of mourning after a Halloween celebration ended with a crowd crush. Images emerged from first responders trying to resuscitate partygoers crushed in an overcrowded back alley. At least 153 people are dead. Witnesses say many people did not appear to know a disaster was even unfolding only feet away from them. Of the victims, two were Americans. We'll be taking a look at videos from the celebrations, but a warning that the following scenes might be disturbing for some viewers. Here's Flind Flinders Kingsley. Around 100,000 people gathered in the narrow streets of the South Korean capital city of Seoul on Saturday night. But when festival goers poured into an 11 feet wide street, panic spread as toppled guests realized they couldn't move. Victims were trapped in three or four layers of people and some for over 40 minutes. And I had to like turn around and I told the crowd, you can't come this way. People are dying. Because I already knew how bad it was. And people were being so rude. And I had to tell them, like, you can't come this way. At least 153 people were killed. 133 more were injured. Of the deaths, 97 were women, two-thirds of the total casualties. 80% were in their 20s or 30s, and at least four were teenagers. Authorities say the death count could rise as 37 of the injured partygoers are in serious condition. We came here around 10 p.m., then we saw what looked like a scene from a movie in front of the hotel over there, like things happening during a war. It was indeed happening. They were doing CPR here and there, and people were rushing in, and nothing was being controlled. It was completely out of control. 20 of the deceased were foreign nationals, two of whom were U.S. citizens. Stephen Blessy from Georgia, who was studying in the South Korean capital, and Anne Gieske, a nursing student in her third year at the University of Kentucky. The city of Seoul was left in chaos as thousands of people searched a nearby city office for word of their loved one. I couldn't find. I saw you check the name list of death. Yes, I checked the list, but their name is not there. The stampede is the country's worst tragedy since 2014, when a ferry sunk and killed over 300 mostly high school students. The 2014 tragedy brought an investigation into lax safety rules and regulation failures. The South Korean government is now investigating the cause of the stampede. A tragedy and disaster that should not have happened took place in the heart of Seoul during Halloween celebrations last night. 
President Yun suk declared a period of national mourning and designated Seoul's popular Itaewon district a disaster zone. Flinders Kingsley, NTD News. Ken Fallis, a witness to the tragedy, said that the loud music made it hard to hear people's cries for help, which added to the chaos. And other reports have said emergency services were slowed by the dense crowds. It was an awful scene, seeing so many people receiving CPR, and the local emergency services were recruiting partygoers to help with resuscitation. Absolutely a terrible tragedy, and I saw that makeshift memorials have already began to appear at the site. And in India, a century-old suspension bridge collapsed into a river Sunday, sending hundreds plunging into the water and killing at least 132. It's one of the worst accidents in the country in the past decade. At least 177 survivors were pulled from the river, and teams from the Army, Navy, and Air Force were searching for others still missing. The footbridge was packed with sightseers enjoying holiday festivities when it collapsed on Sunday, plunging people into the river below. Footage showed dozens of people clinging onto the cables and twisted remains of the bridge over the Machu River as emergency teams struggled to rescue them. Some clambered up the broken structure to try to make their way to the riverbanks, while others swam to safety. A number of children were among the victims. Authorities said more than 400 people were on and around the colonial-era suspension bridge at the time of the collapse. The 230-metre bridge was built during British rule in the 19th century. It had been closed for renovation for six months and was reopened for the public last week. Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who was in his home state Gujarat for a three-day visit, said he had directed the state chief minister to mobilise teams urgently for the rescue operation. The army has been deployed to help trace missing people and assist in the rescue operations. And a lot happening over in Brazil. Brazilian President-elect Lula da Silva has promised to unite a divided country. That was in a Sunday speech addressing the, the nation after his defeat of incumbent Jair Bolsonaro in a runoff presidential vote. Da Silva won against incumbent President Bolsonaro by a narrow margin after both candidates previously failed to secure a majority vote. With over 99% of the runoff vote counted, Da Silva received 50.9% of the vote, while Bolsonaro had just over 49%. Da Silva and his workers' party previously governed Brazil for two terms from 2003 to 2010. In 2018, he was banned from re-election following corruption charges, which led to him being sentenced to 12 years in jail. The Supreme Court later overturned a Silva sentence after serving 580 days. His opponent, Bolsonaro, who came into power in 2019, repeatedly expressed concerns that Brazil's electronic voting machines are susceptible to fraud. Now joining me for more is Marco Schottges. He's the editor-in-chief of Epoch Times Brazil. Good to have you on again, Marcos. Thanks for having me. Well, I mean, you gave some really interesting insights last time, so I'm excited to have this chat with you. And first of all, we just heard about Lula's promise to unite a deeply divided country. And so I want to know, what do you think about that and what this presidency under Lula will bring? Well, um, I think it's probably his hardest challenge to unite a deeply divided country, especially because this was a razor, a razor thin victory for him. It was not a large margin. And many in the country um, even don't think he should have been allowed to run. Let's remember his corruption charges, his, corrupt, his corruption convictions um, were not overturned on the merit of his accusations, on the merit 
of the case itself. It was on procedural grounds and by a Supreme Court judge nominated by his workers' party. Now, the Senate and the House are both leaning right. So I think you have a hard time um, bringing a union he claims he can bring because many of the countries still don't even believe he should have been allowed to run. Many of the countries still think he is um, convicted of corruption. Um, even so, because just, as I just mentioned, it was overturned on procedural grounds. But I think it's a hard challenge. And what I think it will bring, well, um, that's a huge concern. He has been talking about since we in the press. He has been talking about making the economy more state-run as it was under him the last time. Um, so I think it will bring a lot of challenges, especially legally, especially regarding freedom of uh, expression, and especially regarding the economy to an extent. I think those are the main ones. Really interesting, and this certainly also caught a lot of attention all over the world. People all over the world have been watching this election closely, including, of, of course, us here in the U.S. So what are the implications of this result to us here in the USA? Well, I think the results are mainly twofold. Um, Lula has traditionally been aligned with all the left-leaning regimes, which have traditionally rejected the U.S. and Latin America. We're talking about Cuba. Let's remember, he was personal friends with, with Fidel Castro before Fidel died. He is personal friends with Nicolás Maduro, the socialist dictator in Venezuela. He is personal friends with Daniel Ortega, the socialist dictator in Nicaragua. So we have to remember, we're dealing with a candidate, we're dealing with a president-elect that has traditionally been calling um, for a sort of animosity against the U.S. and for a so-called South-South relationship with Russia and China. So Brazil is um, likely to shift ever more towards China and Russia in the long run and be ever less friendly to the U.S. in the long run. And I think that's grave because now from the southern tip of South America up to the Mexico border with the United States, almost every single country in the region is leaning hard left. I'll tell you why that's important. Brazil is the fourth largest producer of food in the world. It's one of the 10 largest economies. And we're talking, we have been talking recently about a looming food crisis. So this major power, this major regional power is now shifting away from U.S. interests ever more, as is the whole region. And then, of course, um, all the regimes I just mentioned, socialist Venezuela, socialist Nicaragua, communist Cuba, they have been working um, to flood the U.S. basically with migrants and drugs towards the southern border. Now, with this regional powerhouse, that is Brazil, can you imagine the, the power to have to wage unconventional warfare against the U.S.? Um, I think so, those are some of the main implications, um, strategic with China and also the southern border. Mm, certainly some really important points. And we have one more moment here. So I want to know more about what you just touched on briefly in the New York Times also reported before about the Supreme Court's overreach and its expanding influence. So what is it you're seeing there and what does that mean for Brazil? Well, um, we have to understand in Brazil we have a Supreme Court that also shares a lot of members, uh, a lot of Supreme Court justices also um, are acting on the electoral court, the court that oversees elections. Now, both of these courts um, acting alongside each other have um, been raising major concerns. Well, many have been raising major concerns about the way they act because some news outlets have been censored as a result of the electoral process, um, throughout the electoral process. 
one of the major conservative outlets in the country, Jovem Pan, uh, which is a radio station and also a, a huge news channel, has been censored. And not only have they not been allowed um, to talk against Lula with certain words being even taken out of their vocabulary, but also um, they have been even instigated to lie on air to favor Lula. Not only they had to retract things that were true, they were also forced to lie on air to favor Lula. So the Electoral Court and the Supreme Court have many of their members nominated by the Workers' Party. Let's not forget the Workers' Party ruled this country for over 15 years. So when we talk about the Workers' Party, they have nominated a number of Supreme Court justices. They have influence over the Electoral Court. And what many fear is that these courts are being politicized and that they are using their power to suppress free speech and to do the bidding of the hard left. Mm. Now, let's not forget, Lula has been elected in an alliance with the local Communist Party, which not that long ago, only a few decades ago, was fighting a communist guerrilla on the countryside. So I think there's reason for concern there, and that's what we're seeing on the ground. Right, right. Thank you so much. Uh, we're running out of time here, unfortunately, but it was certainly very insightful. So thank you very much, Marcos Schottkes with Epoch Times Brazil. Thank you. And back in the States, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was in New York this weekend to stump for Representative Lee Zeldin in the race for New York governor. Zeldin's campaign has picked up steam recently amid public safety concerns. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Are you ready to save New York State? With those words, Florida's governor kicked off his speech in support of Representative Lee Zeldin. DeSantis has become a controversial figure for refusing to order COVID lockdowns, battling with schools to prohibit mask mandates and his parental rights legislation that prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. I'm so happy to be here because I think it's great in politics when you don't have to choose between the lesser of two evils. You can actually support a very strong, capable candidate. And Lee Zeldin is that man, and he's the guy that can turn New York around. DeSantis described the pressure he faced from Democrat lawmakers and the media to shut down Florida during the COVID pandemic. But you know, leadership is not about caving when you're under pressure, okay? Leadership is about standing strong. DeSantis says that Lee Zeldin will make the same kind of decisions to protect what he calls people's freedoms if he is elected governor. With crime surging in New York and New Yorkers feeling unsafe riding their own subways, DeSantis says people are fed up. Florida is a law and order state. I am a law and order governor. He says New York will become a law and order state if Lee Zeldin is elected governor. He added that people need to start focusing on victims' rights, not the rights of criminals. Zeldin signaled what kind of environment police would face under his reign. And we want to back unapologetically our selfless, dedicated men and women in blue. He also pledged some changes in legislation on day one of his term, if elected. As soon as we are sworn in in the state of New York, we are going to do what Kathy Hochul could do today if she had any courage. We are going to declare a crime emergency here in the state of New York. 
Zeldin vowed to suspend cashless bail in the HALT Act, which restricts the use of segregated confinement in jails and prisons. A recent Slingshot Strategies poll showed Hochul leading Zeldin 48 to 42 percent. Crime was the top issue, followed by inflation and gun violence. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Pennsylvania's Republican nominee for governor, Doug Mastriano, is hot on the campaign trail. He's holding rallies throughout the state called the Restore Freedom Tour. Entity got, to ch got a chance to speak with a gubernatorial candidate at a rally over the weekend. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg with more. The retired Army colonel and current state senator made a stop in Mannheim, Pennsylvania on Saturday. He shared his plan to help Pennsylvania prosper. We get it right in Pennsylvania. We can not only change the course of our state's history, but we can save our nation. Because Pennsylvania has this massive blessing that God's given us. Natural gas, coal, oil. And under Mastriana, we're going to open up that sector here. We're going to become wealthy in a land of opportunity. He says as governor, he wants to tackle crime, education, and the economy. My biggest motivation is to make Pennsylvania better than it is today, so that when my time is done, I can hand Pennsylvania over a little bit better than how I got it. Mastriano described the upcoming midterms as a crossroads. His Democrat opponent is Pennsylvania's current Attorney General, Josh Shapiro. We are at a crossroads here. We're standing between my opponent and his party stand for tyranny and you know, radical socialist ideas and, and the government confusing our kids with, with gender pronoun games and with exposing our kids to inappropriate material in the schools, uh, gender reassignment surgeries for minors, and this whole list of forced vaccinations for, for, for kids with the COVID jab. It's just all these things infringing on our rights. Mastriano says he believes he can unite Pennsylvania by empowering individuals with equal rights and freedoms. You decide whether you want the jab. You decide how to live your life. You decide how to raise your kids. We should not have Big Brother in our schools indoctrinating our kids. It should be education, not indoctrination. Many voters in attendance said the economy and inflation was the most important issue for them. One of the greatest things about America is we always thrive. And this is where my family and me came from, Romania, which was a communist country in 85. And we got to have the American dream because of such good economy. So when we lose that and other factors, we can end up losing our nation. And we don't want that. The economy to me is the number one issue and inflation right now. If you want, if you want things to stay the same, vote for Joe Biden, vote for Josh Shapiro. We need a drastic change in this country, like big time right now. President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris visited the battleground state on Friday. They stumped for Democratic candidates at the state's Democratic Party's annual independence dinner in Philadelphia. Biden emphasized the importance of the Keystone State in the midterms. Most important by-election in our lifetime. And his desire to keep party control of the governorship and Congress. Biden will return to Pennsylvania again next week with former President Barack Obama. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Former President Obama campaigned for Democratic Party candidates in Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin over the weekend. His first stop in Georgia was to rally voters in a tight U.S. Senate race that could decide which party controls the chamber. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has that story. Obama urged the crowd in Atlanta to vote in the November 8th election. Who will fight for your freedoms? Is it some of these folks in the GOP, politicians, judges, who think they should get to decide when you start a family, 
how many children you have, who you marry, who you love, do not boo. Vote. Obama was campaigning for gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams and U.S. Senate candidate Raphael Warnock. I'm, I'm running because I'm in love with change. That's what I'm in love with, change. I'm running because every now and then in this office I get to do something amazing like cast my vote to confirm Ketanji Brown Jackson to the United States Supreme Court. Obama next rallied in Wisconsin in an effort to mobilize voters. He then headed to Detroit to stump for Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, among other Democratic candidates. I am here to ask you to vote. Obama was interrupted by a heckler during his speech. He addressed the man as he was being escorted out. Basic civility and courtesy works, and that's what we want to try to encourage. So, listen, that's okay. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Quiet down, quiet down. Obama is on a five-state tour. He is next heading to the battleground states of Nevada on November 1st and Pennsylvania on November 5th, where he will meet up with President Biden. According to the latest Reuters-Ipsos poll, Biden's approval rating among voters is around 39%. Republicans are expected to win enough seats to take control of the House and possibly the Senate. Controlling both chambers will enable them to stall Biden's agenda and launch investigations into his administration. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And we're visiting the International Travel Show in New York City. Find out what exciting destinations are being promoted coming up next. Shanghai's Disney Resort abruptly suspended operations on Monday to comply with COVID-19 prevention measures. All visitors at the time of the announcement were not allowed to leave until they could show a negative COVID test. The Shanghai government said on its official WeChat account that the park was barring people from entering or exiting. And anyone who visited the park since October 27th would need to test for COVID-19 three times in three days. The company announced today it would immediately shut the main theme park and surrounding areas, including its shopping center, until further notice. Officials in cities and provinces across China have been closing venues and enforcing longer lockdowns on millions of people to stamp out COVID outbreaks. That's after cases on the mainland hit nearly 3,000 on Sunday, topping 2,000 for a second straight day. And that's based on official data from the Chinese state media. But because of censorship, the real number of COVID cases in China remains unknown. The International Travel Show has started in New York City, the first show since the pandemic. It provides an opportunity for travel enthusiasts to get to know what destinations and activities are available. Here's Entity Sean Marshall with some exciting opportunities. It's the International Travel Show in New York City at the Javits Center. If you're looking to travel somewhere for a vacation, this is the place you want to be. And it's the first one since the pandemic. It was full of leaders, thinkers, and innovators in the travel industry. Alison Andrade was promoting attractions in Brazil that Americans love, fishing and national parks. We are here uh, especially promoting sport fishing in Brazil. We're launching an advertisement campaign to promote this segment in our country. First, because Americans uh, love 
uh, sport fishing and also because we have an unbeatable product. Andrade told me the U.S. is a key market for the Brazilian tourism board and is number one in investments for their promotion. I know Americans love national parks and uh, actually we have 74 parks in Brazil. Of course, we cannot promote all of them. So we narrowed down the list and we picked up uh, 15 national parks, like uh, top 15 national parks uh, to, to promote here in the US market. To uh, have more information about this park, you can go to visitbrazil.com uh, nature. You're gonna find comprehensive information about this park. Gianaria Arundel had some nice things to say about the island of St. Martin. So definitely visit St. Martin. It is one of the most beautiful islands in the Caribbean. It's French and Dutch and it's such diverse island with a lot of, a lot of history and a lot of culture and a lot of things to do. And of course I asked what fun activities there are to do. So we do have our annual events, which is Carnival. It's really, really good and full of um, concerts. And we have the Carnival Parade as well. So that is one of the highlights of the year. We also have the Hennigan Regatta. So I would say if you are someone that wants to experience rich culture and want to have a good time, definitely visit us in April during our Carnival. There were vacation businesses like Travel Wi-Fi that offers a worldwide Wi-Fi hotspot device. And this helicopter setup by Fly Nyon, where you can tour New York City with your legs dangling out of an open door helicopter, had everything you could come to expect from a world-class travel show that's been around for 17 years. Sean Marshall, NTD News. That's all from us today. Feel free to email us with any thoughts or ideas you may have at goodmorning@ntd.com. Thanks for watching. Have a great day. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.